Hey there, and welcome back to today's episode of Food Biz Whiz. Today's show is all about understanding your target audience. That is, the person who is your brand's biggest fan, and how to go about identifying them, getting to know them, and ultimately selling to them. This is a topic that's really, really easy to do incorrectly. So I've brought in a guest expert today, Britta Shell, the founder of Britta Shell Consulting. Britta is a strategic mar- marketing research and consumer insights practitioner who helps small and mid-sized companies harness the power of their users to unlock growth, innovation, and loyalty, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Let's jump right in. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is supported by Canva, one of my favorite online tools for creating beautiful on-brand sell sheets, promotional materials, social media posts, website graphics, and more. I use Canva Pro every single day in my business, and I love that I can save my brand colors, my fonts, and my templates on their platform. It takes the guesswork out of designing graphics, and it saves so much time as my brand elements are at my fingertips. Since their launch in 2013, Canva has helped more than 15 million users and claim to have a design made on their platform every 30 seconds. That's nuts. Try out Canva today by visiting the link in my profile and start creating beautiful on-brand designs in minutes. All right, my whizzes, I have Britta Shell with me on the episode today, and I can't wait to have you meet her. Britta is an independent consultant who helps products and experiences become must-have brands through deep user understanding. Britta has worked at all different size companies, from startups to big brands like Pepsi and Facebook and Google and Disney. And on today's show, we're going to chat about why it's important to identify your target audience how you can conduct your own research on them, what to watch out for when you go down that path, and finally, how to use those consumer insights when you're building your brand. So welcome, Britta. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. It's great to be here. So let's, I'm going to dive right into it because we have a lot to cover. Can you start by telling us a bit about why you have focused your consulting business around consumer insights? Great question. Uh, Ultimately, it's just where I saw the best growth, the best innovation come from throughout my career, both in advertising and brand strategy. Ultimately, the, the most powerful work, the most successful brands that I've worked with really put their users at the center. And gradually, I I sort of meandered my way into becoming a researcher full-time and haven't looked back. It's just so empowering for brands and really ultimately gives users and consumers the best possible products. Awesome. I I know you and I agree on this. We you and I talked about this, you know, a couple months ago when we first decided to do a podcast together, and we agreed that so many emerging brands struggle with this because at the end of the day, they think everyone is their target audience. I'm sure you've heard that before as well. 
So true. And I mean, even starting my own, my own company, it was really hard to kind of pare back and, and focus on who I could help the most. Why can't I help everybody? It's hard to say no. It's, it's, it's a normal human condition. But I think the, the brands that I've seen be most successful have really chosen to focus and super serve almost a niche audience to their core. Um, and, and that's really driven the kind of love that, that drives repeat purchase, that drives great word of mouth and organic um, growth and, and is, is just at the core of most great brands success. Can we, can we talk about that idea that not everyone is your target audience? So a little bit more in depth here, because I think that's a hard concept for people to understand, especially when you're a young brand who's like really just trying to gain traction and have high sales, right? Totally. So yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so how would you respond to someone who said, who would say like, why isn't everyone my target audience? Of course, I want everyone to be my target audience because that will capture the most sales possible. First off, I'd meet them where they are. Of course, brands need to drive growth when they're first starting. Of course, they really just need to get in as, you know, in, in as many people's face as possible. That's the natural sort of inclination that most people who are excited about their product, excited about growing their brand have. So totally normal, but it's not going to serve your growth strategy at all. Those brands that speak directly to a specific group of people will unlock the hearts and minds of those people who will then become your, your almost marketing partners. They're, they're going to be so excited about your brand that you've answered the question that they've been having or the challenge that they've been dealing with or the friction point that they've had perfectly for them. And they're going to tell everybody about it, which is the, the highest quality marketing that I can, you know, ever offer anybody. So it's, it's really, it's really all about finding out who, who really will finding that perfect product market fit where you're, you have a product that somebody is just craving, you're speaking their language and you know how to do both of those things perfectly well, because you understand them inside and out as though you, you would understand, uh, you know, your best friend or, or someone who's real. When we think about, uh, about our users or our consumers as whole humans with a variety of different struggles and challenges and great things and things that they love, we can, we can connect with them in a deeper way than just blasting out a message that's appealing to nobody in particular um, and just isn't going to be as effective. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense, right? Like when you're it's it's almost like when your audience is too large, you dilute the messaging, right? Exactly. It, yeah. Yeah, which is hard to grasp. I mean, you said you struggled with it. I totally struggled it with it in my own business. I see students in retail ready have this question every single week. So I think it's I I love that we're talking about it because I think it's a it's a really hard concept to understand especially in the beginning. Absolutely. And I think not enough people talk about it. I really applaud you for including it as such a big component of your course and, and really continuing that message beyond the course into your podcast, et cetera, because it's something that I don't think a lot of people who are in product develop or who are developing a new product or growing a, a small brand. I haven't seen that message out there so much that this focus on a, a, a core group of people is the best way to, to grow and, and develop a brand that's sustainable and, and has a bunch of super fans that really help you get to that next level. Um, I wish more Thank people you. were talking about it, so bravo. <laughs> Thank you. It, I mean, it, it can absolutely feel a little bit counterintuitive. And I will tell you that I have retail-ready students 
argue back at me. They will, <laughs> no. they will push so hard against this. Um, and, and the ones who, the ones who don't, the ones who lean into this idea and who get on board with narrowing their target audience in, in order to expand their sales are the ones who see faster, more strategic growth. Absolutely. And I think it's really telling that a lot of the larger food conglomerates that end up buying specific smaller companies to add to their portfolio, they're really looking hard for those companies that have those brands that have really built a relationship of, with, with their users who have then become fans and almost like a, a tribe who just a movement, if you will, around a specific type of product. They, the larger brands can't, they're, and having worked with them, it's really challenging for them to build to that degree at scale immediately. Mm -hmm. So the advantage that I think a lot of small brands have is that they they have the freedom to really focus and focus deeply on a specific group of people, make convert them into the biggest fans ever. Um, and, and the big brands just aren't able to, to immediately make that a billion dollar brand. It's, it's an advantage that small brands have who are, who are launching, I feel. Um, and it's, it's where, again, we see all those acquisitions happening. So use that advantage to, to, to really drive growth. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're, you're right. When we see these bigger brands scooping up <laughs> emerging brands, it's often the ones that are, are so focused in their, in their positioning. Exactly. And it's just not something that a large brand can do and immediately have a billion dollar brand. If P if and g or Pepsi is trying to launch something new, they have a huge bar that they need to set for revenue. It's just not mm -hmm. going to be there immediately with a, a small brand that's so focused, mm -hmm. but the growth is organic and ultimately very, very sustainable if you're doing it on a small scale. So it's another way to look at um, maybe feeling like small is, is a challenge, but it actually is an advantage in a lot of ways, especially when you're considering developing a really deep relationship and, and driving growth organically. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Okay, so so let's say our listeners are on board. They're like, yes, Britta, yes, Allie, <laughs> I'm going to narrow my target audience. How do they decide who it is? How do they know that they've landed on the right person? There's, I think, a couple ways to look at it. But for me, it's all about, first, what challenge are you solving? Or how are you making someone's life better? And it could be, you know, are you canceling out a friction point for a busy family whose kids aren't into vegetables, mm -hmm. but they really want to eat them nutritiously? Thinking deeply about how people live their lives and how your product fits into it, whether it's adding a huge amount of value and benefit or solving a big problem, that's really the first place to start. So what problem are you solving or what benefit are you adding? And then for whom? And dig a little bit deeper into, is it a family? Okay. Well, do they have small kids? Okay. What, what area do they live in? Are they, um, you know, interested in certain parts of culture, really digging in and almost developing, I don't know, like a Facebook profile of these people to really center all of your activity around. Um, those who are interested in a more rigorous approach can partner with someone like me to test their hypothesis. But I think for most small, um, small brands that are just in that launch phase or, or new product development phase, this is a really great way to begin is to think about the people you're solving problems for, or, or making something great for as whole people who could be your neighbor or, or you might see at a store and, and think about them, not just as shopping at target, but what's their whole universe? What mm -hmm. movies are they watching? Um, what, what magazines are they reading? And, and really deepen and immerse yourself in that space 
to try and see them as a whole person. Yeah, we we do a, a really similar exercise to that in Retail Ready where I, I've i created, it's almost like a Mad Libs form where, where that, that Retail Ready student fills out all of the details on their audience about same thing, like, you know, they're going to bed tonight at night and what are they reading as they get into bed or what are they doing an hour before bedtime? When they wake up, what are they what's the first thing on their mind? What are they stressing about? What are they, you know, excited for next month? You know, all of those, those little things that really build out the complete target persona. Um, and then I think, and I'm curious on your, your take on this as well, Britta. I think one of the important things that we've seen in retail ready is to, to take those, take that persona, take the demographics and study them, but then start shifting and thinking about that emotional connection that that person has with your brand. So rather than stopping at my target audience is a 37 year old urban woman who makes a salary of X, Y, Z and on and on and on, we, we take it to that next level and we think about the emotional reasons why she feels connected to the brand. Um, how do you, how do you feel about that position? I absolutely love that. And not only is it important for building a brand that people really trust and return to and and want to share with others. But increasingly, I'm seeing data come in that values for brands really matter mm. in this day and age, in this current environment. And ultimately, users are and consumers are really shopping with their their whole heart these days. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if your brand doesn't stand for anything, it's kind of hard. Even if the, the, the flavor is amazing, it's a little bit hard to find space on the shelf when there are so many other choices. Um, And part of another layer of digging deep into where this overlap of values is could be, could be a great exercise for some small brands to go through. Um, Are you all about non-GMO? Are you, you know, what are some core parts of the story of the brand's development that, that might have some an emotion, an emotional layer Mm -hmm. or interest to people. And also thinking a little bit too about, um, you know, is that what other, what causes are the people that you serve interested in and and looking for that overlap to tell an emotional story that's engaging and also makes your core target feel seen. And like you have more in common than just a love of chocolate or whatever your product might be. (laughs) Yeah. I, I love that. It, it, it makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, there's tens of thousands of chocolate companies, but we all have our favorite favorites because of something deeper that they've built with their brand. Right. Exactly. Perfectly said. Okay. Can we, I was going to say, can we talk about getting to know your consumers better though? So you've got this idea. You think, you know, where they shop, you think, you think you have them crafted perfectly in your head then what? Like, how do you actually get in front of these people and and prove your hypothesis correct? So I might be putting myself out of business a little bit with this as a professional <laughs> researcher, but a lot of the time, um, and I think you had someone from Mintel on your, your yeah, recently, yep. But the first place to start is research that's already been conducted. It may cost a few hundred dollars to access these reports, but they're really going to help you get a lay of the land. You know, what, what size is the market of the specific target that you've chosen? Um, you know, what other products are they consuming? What other brands should be on your radar, not just as a competitor set, 
but also that are, you're going to be on the shelf next to in, in this person's pantry mm-hmm. uh, or fridge. So, so that's a really great place to start to try and fill out some of the details. Um, from there, I like to, and it sounds like in your course, there's this, this component as well. I like to encourage my clients to really fill out that Facebook profile or what in the, in the research world we call a user persona or a consumer mm-hmm. persona. And it's really kind of a holistic understanding of this person and the size of this market and, you know, all the details that are really help you prove out from there, you're ready to start conducting research, um, in a more concentrated way because you know, the specifics of the group that you're talking to both in uh, a hard numbers way, like the number that exists where they might be concentrated in the country, et cetera, but also you understand the emotions as well. And at that point, depending on what, on what you're trying to do, maybe it's test your product or your packaging or try and understand um, the challenges or, or what gets these, these folks excited a little bit better. You might choose a number of different types of research from that point. Um, and, and again, I really like to start with a business goal in mind before any research is conducted. And it can't be vague. It's, it can't be, well, we just want to see what people think about this packaging number. <laughs> yes, that is that is such a great example of a mediocre goal. <laughs> yeah, really push yourself to, it's not, you know, research can be time consuming. It doesn't have to be. And it can cost a little bit of money. It doesn't have to cost a lot. But really put, put you know, I encourage my clients and anybody that I talk to to help really to, to force yourself to have a clear goal in mind for research, because then you'll get the most out of it. You really want to maximize the time that you spend with your target. It's hugely valuable to, to get exposure to them and it, it can enrich an entire team. Um, not just the person who's conducting the research. Um, <laughs> so it's super important. Britta, if the poor example was, I want to see what people think of my packaging, what would be a good goal around packaging there? That's a great question. Um, smart research questions. It takes a while to, to, to learn the art of this, but it, it's, it's got to be more specific. So if it's about packaging, do you want this packaging to evoke your brand's values? Do you want this packaging to really highlight aspects of the experience of eating your product? Is it really crunchy? Is it, what, what, what kind of um, flavor notes does it evoke? So maybe it's, it's what goals do you have for your product packaging mm-hmm. and then are your are your target consumers really what are they getting mm-hmm. and how can you better in terms of the types of revisions you might want to make yeah, yeah absolutely and I think one of the the challenges that I see is that these brands are racing to get to market they're so focused on gaining sales that they put out a product line that where they haven't done much research. And then all of a sudden, when the sales aren't coming in as quickly as they thought, they're backpedaling and and then starting to do that first round of in-depth research when the product's already on the shelves, which almost feels, it feels a little late. I would totally agree. And I can also totally empathize with someone really rushing to get to market. They've got this great idea. They're ready to go. They're, they're, They've got the, the guy ready to print their boxes and packaging. Like it's, it's hard to, to press pause. But I think, especially from my perspective as a researcher, the more that you can control for variables up front, like, <laughs> will people like this? Are people understanding this, pro- this product and what we're actually selling? 
Are we conveying our values? If we can control for those pieces and make sure that we're checking that and not just going by gut or guess, it's going to be a much better return on your, your investment. That initial run of packaging and that initial product run can be so expensive for people. And I, I just hate to have people come to me and say, we launched this and we don't know why it failed. And we really wish we hadn't done it yet. It's worse. Yeah. So press pause. That would be my biggest advice before, before doing anything and check in with your users and consumers. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to do when you're feeling so much passion and momentum and you're, you're just itching to get that product out there. And you know, deep down in your heart, you should do a little bit more consumer testing before you launch the final version. Okay, Britta, I'm going to pause for a second. We're going to drop in a, a little sponsor clip and we will be right back in a moment. Food Biz Wiz is supported by Canva, my favorite tool for designing on-brand graphics for my business. I love it for my web graphics, my podcast graphics, and for my social media posts. And my clients love it for their sell sheets, trade show materials, shelf talkers, and promo kits. You are going to be blown away by how easy it is to use Canva, and I can't wait to see what you design. Try it out today by visiting the Canva link in my show notes and get to designing beautiful graphics within minutes. Okay, Britta, we're back. So we've talked about understanding how consumer data is valuable in building your product line, how narrowing down your target audience leads to higher sales. We've talked a little bit about finding data and doing consumer research. I want to talk about the the dark side of it. Like what happens when you do your own research and it doesn't go correctly or the research that you use leads you down the wrong path. I'm sure you've seen a lot of like DIY research products, uh, projects gone wrong. Can we talk about that a bit? Oh gosh, I'm so glad you're creating space for me to just vent a little bit and share some, <laughs> just really drop some knowledge on people. I'm ready. Bad data equals bad decisions equals money down the drain. Please, before you use any data, just double check where it's coming from. Here's a good checklist. Um, don't, don't pull your Facebook page. It's tempting, but just don't do it. It's not representative. <laughs> we want to make sure that when you conduct any research, you're, you're using a, a, you're, you're interacting with a group of people that yes, are qualified to be part of your target that you've identified. If that's moms ages 30 to 40 in the Midwest or something different, but at least we know that we have them. Your Facebook page are people who are super fans. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing, let's say a survey monkey survey and you're, and this is a common thread. So that's why I'm using that one. Um, and I love survey monkey. They have a great product. But if you're using a survey monkey survey and you aren't really specific about the type of people that you're sending it to, you're going to get data from people who aren't qualified to be part of your consumer target. Mm -hmm. And then, and then what have you got? You've got a lot of survey responses from people who aren't necessarily your target. Yeah. So the biggest thing I tell people is when you go out and do research, again, control for those variables up front. Quality sample, meaning the people that are participating in your research, and also quality questions. When you're developing methodologies, whether it's for interviews or a focus group or a survey, really make sure every question on that list ladders back to a specific part of that business goal that you're conducting the research toward. So yep. quality participants, quality questions. 
that's the, the two biggest variables I, I tell people to control for and really just avoid doing any research on social media because it's kind of like Amazon reviews. People are fired up in one way, positive or the other negative, and it's not going to give you an accurate picture of what's really happening. Yeah. And you know what, what I think is interesting and I think about using social media for reviews and I myself will ask my Instagram followers things in my stories. And on the one hand, I feel like it is my target audience because they're following me, they're watching my stories, they're engaged with my content. But on the other hand, I know like my aunt and uncle are the ones who respond all the time and they're definitely throwing the data off, right? That's a great example. Thank you for bringing it to life a little bit. I know it's so tempting because the social media followers, they're there, they're engaged, but they're they're the if they're engaged like that, they're your super fans. They're not the people you have to, to work super hard to get. You've got them already. Um, so it's it's really about finding that that larger chunk that fits that larger chunk of people that really fits your target audience. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And I think that, I think, I mean, we could talk about social media and using that to get information all day long. There's so much data on there, but the, I think it, it becomes challenging when you think about your social media following as your core audience and as your target consumer. And it's really hard to realize or even admit that it might not be completely in line with the person who is taking out their wallet and spending money on your product. Absolutely. And if, if pe- people are wondering where they might be able to access um, those, those, that larger group of people who are not your super fans on social media, but are, are buying your product or, in- or could be interested in your product, um, you can actually buy survey sample. So you can actually target on, I think, SurveyMonkey and a few others that I that I use. Um, and if people have questions, feel free to message me. Um, you can actually specifically target. And it costs a little bit of money, but at least you're qualifying that research to be from the broader group, not just those who love you. So it's, it's really important. Just because you have a survey with answers doesn't mean that those answers are valid. You really have to pay attention to who's, who's behind those answers. Oh, uh. Yes, I'm I'm sure we're breaking some hearts over the airwaves right now. But I do <laughs> Sorry, think it, guys. <laughs> I think it's so important. One of the things that that we do in Retail Ready is make sure that the questions that they're asking that the audience through the surveys are really pointed and they're really aimed at getting responses that are valuable to making valuable in making strategic decisions about the product line. So I think you were hinting at this, Britta, but like instead of saying something like, would you buy this product, which you know doesn't really do much, we can ask questions like, would you buy a six ounce bag of this for $7.99? And something like that, right? That gets much more narrow in what we're trying to get out of the question or the answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in a survey environment, um, which is quantitative research, you really need to be extremely specific. Most survey respondents are just trying to get, no one cares as much about your survey as you do. They're just trying to get through the question quickly. And you need to be specific in order to get quality answers out. So um, the other thing to watch out for is self-reported data. Make sure that you have questions that people can answer in, on, in a more accurate way. 
most of us don't remember how many or don't remember how much water we used Mm. in the past month on our water bill. And most of us also aren't willing to admit how much Netflix we binged last weekend. (laughs) I think it's, it's really important to keep that in mind as you're writing your questions, really put yourself not only in the, in the mindset of your user, but also be realistic about what people are willing to answer. And for the most part, that's questions that are really, really specific have a, have a very clear outline about what, what you're trying to get at. Another thing I'll say is that open-ended questions, I wouldn't rely on those. Most people are not at their most creative when they're answering a survey for someone else's product that they just are not as engaged in as you'll ever be. So asking someone, well, what would you do in, in this situation? It's not going to be as productive as, well, if you were choosing the color, what's, or, you know, what is the most appealing to you of these three specific colors? Mm-hmm. So that specificity that you were speaking to is really important. And then in qualitative data, which is, so surveys are quantitative. We can get specific numbers out of them, percentages, um, and we can line those up on a page and it's very clear. But for qualitative data, which is interviews, um, focus groups, where we, we are, it's not as easy to quantify the output. That also is a, an art in terms of maximizing your time in those conversations with people and giving them enough of a sandbox or a boundary line for the type of feedback that's useful for you. It's similar to, to what we're talking about for surveys, but it's a little more conversational. So it's, it's largely where I, I recommend um, most people bring in a pro to help out because it's really where gotcha. they get a little bit misty. Well, and I think, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, a lot of people who you're surveying or, you know, who you're interviewing are telling us what they think we want to hear right? Rather than their actual opinions. Absolutely. It's a phenomenon that's common in every single person in the world. We are aiming to please, especially in a context where someone's showing us their pride and joy. Mm -hmm. So the ways that we can control for that are stripping the room of any cues. If you're doing it in your offices, I don't recommend that. Um, Don't wear the t-shirt. If you're the one conducting the research, try and appear like you're Swiss neutral, just completely, you know, I work for a company that's, that's trying to learn more about this product category and don't give any cues that you have an emotional, um, stake in, mm-hmm. in the product or the topic mm-hmm. because people are even more likely to have that pleasing bias, which again, gives us the type of information that isn't useful, right. And as high quality as we would like. Um, and really give them the space to be negative. I always start my interviews with, you can't offend me. I have no stake in this game and I really want your truth. Another thing to do is, is not allow any guessing about what another group of people would want. A lot of people will say, well, this isn't for me, but my mom's group might like this. We Mm -hmm. only care about the user in the room. That's another way to make sure that that quality of data is staying out there. Oh, Britta, I I feel like I've said that on surveys before. I was like, well, this product isn't, I don't think I would buy it, but my mom totally would. Right. Oh, and I say that all the time, great, but not useful. <laughs> right. Then I, then that researcher would want to get my mom in the room and ask her the questions and see if it, <laughs> if it resonated with her. Oh gosh. I feel like this is, this is such valuable information because it's so, so easy for brands to make mistakes here and, and move forward with business decisions based, based off a gut reaction or based off incorrect data. Absolutely. And I think there's, there's something to be said for a brand that takes a stand for its users. It's not just about getting quality. Like I'm, I'm all about trying to 
empower brands, all of these rules that I'm saying and all these best practices, it's really about giving brands the chance to maximize their understanding of their users and not face any of these pitfalls. Um, so, so really the best, the best way that I can encourage people who are feeling a little bit like, oh, this is discouraging or oh, research sounds like a pain is to really think about the end goal, which is to be the kind of brand that knows its user inside out, that is making high quality decisions that will resonate with that core audience and will drive growth. We're, all, we're just trying to prevent any bad data being used to inform bad decisions, wasted money, or you know the, the brand suffering. Um, and I think on the flip side, those brands that are able to maximize their, their insights about their users are extremely innovative. The team is so empowered. And I also you know, have, have worked with quite a few teams who say, once they put the user and at the center of their business and really make a point of empowering everyone on their team with insights, they, they have less friction. It mm-hmm. creates a way to make decisions around the people you serve as a brand and not the guts or the personal preferences of the person on the team that likes purple as a color versus blue. Yes. Yes. But how, how does that play out? How does a brand put users at the center um, of their processes? That's a great question. Um, remember that persona we were talking about that, that quote unquote Facebook profile of your, your core target. Everyone on your team should have that as their computer screen background or posted somewhere near their desk. This person should literally be on your mind all throughout the day. If you're tasked with making a decision, try and put yourself in the shoes of that person. Um, Another best practice I encourage my teams is that at any meeting, big or small, there's someone on the team whose job, whose role in that meeting and all the communication interaction in the meeting is to be the voice or advocate for their core target. Oh, I love that. I have never heard that advice before, but it makes... It makes so much sense, right? Have someone literally at the table who's putting putting everything through that persona filter. I love that. Absolutely. So and smart. that's really how I see my job as a researcher is to advocate for the people that are my, my brands, my client brands serve. User insights is the fastest way for us to understand those people and overserve them so that they love your brand and just keep coming back and sending their friends to your brand as well. So oh. Driving sales through consumer insights. I, I am totally on board with this, Britta. Okay. Thank, thank you so much for all of these tips and tools that, that my listeners can use. I feel like you just dropped so much value in our conversation today. Um, Britta, where, where can people continue to keep in touch with you if they want to find out more about you and what you do with brands? Absolutely. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, just search me, Britta Shell. And my website, BrittaShell.com, has some more information about my practice. But I'm posting almost daily the kind of truth bombs I've been dropping <laughs> on your show, Ellie. So if you're, if you're interested in reading a little bit more about my point of view, check out my LinkedIn. Awesome. So I'll link that in the show notes for our listeners. And thank you so much for being on here, Britta. It was such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Okay, my whizzes, I hope that you learned some great tips from Britta about identifying and surveying your target audience and gaining valuable insights that actually help you make business decisions. As always, come continue the conversation with me in the Food Biz Whiz Facebook group, which I'll link in the show notes as well. I want to know what you learned from this week's show. So come on in and let me know. 
Thanks again for listening today. And I will see you back here next week. Until then, stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.